Entrepreneur Shambhajeen Reed has been working tirelessly to champion women and empower them across music, media, beauty, business and culture ever since she started her own hip-hop magazine, WA in 2006. You may know her from her iconic nail bar chain, WA Nails, her book, New Methods for Women, her funding group, Future Girl Corp, or her groundbreaking platform, The Stack World, that empowers women through the strength of community. Wherever you have come across Charmadine, you will know she is a force for change. We are honoured and privileged to get to talk to her today to find out more about her inspirational journey, the women she has helped and the turning points that made her the boss she is today. Sharmadine, welcome to the podcast. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad to be talking to you today. Let's just dive straight in. You've said you grew up in a matriarchy. Mm. Tell me about it. It wasn't necessarily a matriarchy because my granddad was very, very like the centre mm. of our family, mm -hmm. but he did have eight daughters. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of women. Yeah. <laughs> so my grandma was very sociable mm. it's really funny because it was only in my late years i realized how similar i was to my grandma she loved studying she'd be doing computer classes when she's like 60 and stuff mm -hmm. but my granddad was like the rock of the family and he was like always there for his daughters and so yeah so i've got 13 aunties and uncles mm. mainly women and the women the reed women are vivacious and personable and also very social and community driven mm. a lot of my aunties are either nurses or like really involved in church or, you know one of my aunties runs a soup kitchen mm. every month they're, they're like super charitable you know mm. did it affect your beliefs so my family was Seventh-day Adventist they are and just being born in church and growing up in church you like service is very much ingrained in everything you do mm -hmm. you know even like on the 13th sabbath you'd have to like wash somebody else's feet before they took communion do yeah. you get what i mean so mm -hmm. like you're literally kneeling at someone else from the congregation's feet and that's just normal mm. so i definitely think that upbringing you know instilled in me this idea of like being a citizen or mm. a part of the community but I would also say that I was really lucky to go to schools that were just wonderful. Like both my primary and senior school were just like very, you felt like you were part of something. Mm -hmm. And you're still very interested in community itself, right? Yeah, I would say I'm obsessed with it. You know something, I love bringing people together, mm. whether it's like five people or 500 people. And I didn't ever think that that was like my main skill mm. and I always thought that I created a business and community was a way of promoting that business yeah. or getting the first set of customers or you know what I mean it's taken me this long to realize that actually community is the core yeah. business and with the stat world we've been quite intentional in not saying that this is for any specific type of woman we're not saying it's for working moms or it's for female founders or because essentially it doesn't matter what life stage you are in at what industry you're in you just need a group of women who understand what you're going through and are there to support you mm. so what i try and do now with the software that we build and the app that we have is think how can people best create and find communities so that mm. they feel supported but really communities social science behavioral economics it's psychology it's even virology if you think mm. about it mm. it's like everything about 
humans and the way humans behave is centered around community and it's around the society whether it's like your immediate family or you know a membership body or your school or whatever it is it, community is literally ingrained into human gene code yeah so in a way so it's like community first business definitely well community is king yeah queen queen speaking of which <laughs> equality you've been very vocal about your thoughts on equality mm. do you think well equity is important mm -hmm. to me so understanding this difference between equality and equity i think is really important mm. because equality essentially says that we should all have everything equal and equity actually recognizes that well when it hasn't been equal for women or for black people for you know literally millennia then it doesn't just work to give everyone the same thing. Yeah. And I definitely experienced this firsthand where I think that I've been very both fortunate but also strategic in accessing equal opportunity. So, you know, I'm one of the few black women to, who've managed to raise venture capital. Mm -hmm. So the, the equality is there. But then when you get that money or you get that opportunity, you're coming from such, like, minus zero yeah, but the idea of getting from zero to one which is quite commonly spoke about in business like zero to one so like that turning point when you have a real business is just a foreign concept mm. if you've always been on minus five minus six yeah. minus seven <laughs> you essentially get the opportunity to get like one rung up but you're already behind yeah so i think gender equity is incredibly important to me in recognizing that everybody's unique experiences causes them to behave in different ways and how do we create space for as many different experiences as possible rather than assume that if only we give black women a million pound each in funding then everything will be all right well it's not it's not doesn't actually quite work like that because they need to have access to the right like engineers they might not be able to build a board they might not even be able to hire certain talent because that talent isn't used to working for black women mm. they've unconsciously seen black women as not you know the top of the totem pole in terms of leadership so mm. they feel uncomfortable working for a black woman which then creates a chasm of talent mm. and then you can't get to the next step do you get what i'm saying yeah, so totally. these things have such a, a big knock-on effect that i think I w to answer your question in terms of being vocal about equality mm. i would actually say i'm not that vocal about the generic social media sound bites to do with equality mm -hmm. because I think the issue is far more complex yeah. and it's not something that can really, really be communicated in like a short tweet or yeah. on Instagram. What I try and do is create an army. <laughs> <laughs> what I try and do is create an army of conscious, intentional, mission-driven women who can take these principles and instill them in their everyday life because mm -hmm. that's how you're going to get things changed you know what i mean if i explain to somebody so i'm i co-parent 50 50 with my son's father and have done for a decade and sometimes when i tell people that they're like how on earth do you do that mm -hmm. i'm like i just do it and i've done it without any fanfare or you know for a long time and yeah it is difficult but because i've set those boundaries around it mm. vice versa by the way because i'm the one traveling all the time yeah. <laughs> then you just make it happen so when i tell people this is how i do it it means that the next woman who has a baby can be like hang on a minute let's share the parental care let's share the care yeah you know what i mean yeah. and then that's actually what's gonna 
make a big deal rather than me starting a campaign for co-parenting. Yes. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. I just try and use my business and my experience as a method to say you can have an alternative reality for you as a woman if you want to. Yeah, I guess but by doing it, you're showcasing that it can be done. Trying, yeah. And I just think also you talk about an army, but what is an army if not a community that's like been mobilised? Like a community <laughs> with a goal. It's true. <laughs> I do love like war strategy, but you know, I'm also quite obsessed with decentralisation. Mm -hmm. And I think that an army tends to require a leader, right? Or a general. And what I'm actually trying to do with my work is awaken the autonomy within women, right? Yeah. So that you're not just blindly following anyone. You're not following the narrative of your family or, you know, what you think you should be doing because you happen to be a 22-year-old mm. white American woman. So this is what I ought to be doing. Or even me, you might be like listening to things I say and be like, well, that's a load of crap. It's never going to work for me in my situation mm. in you know, wherever I live and whatever my background is. And I think if you can think, like, what is going to work for me on my terms, then that to me is, like, the level of success that I've achieved. I think it's interesting that it's what you have and it's what you want for other women. It's not for them to That's do the exactly same as it. you. It's for them to be as it's autonomous as you are. I feel like it took me a long time and a lot of work and a lot of money how to truly do just literally whatever I want to do. You haven't just done one thing. Mm. Have, was that always your plan? No. <laughs> Did you have a plan? So I was discussing this with my, um, so my first ever assistant, mm -hmm. who I'm still super close with. We were chatting the other day. I met her when she was maybe 15, 16. Mm -hmm. Been working with her for a long time, like over a decade. And she said, the thing about you is you just like to do something once. And then mm -hmm. when you've proved it to yourself, you like to do the next thing. Yeah. And if you have to do the same thing over and over again, it's like you're trapped. And I was like, mm, yeah, I think you're quite right. When I have an idea, sometimes if I map the idea out, like on paper or chatting with friends, I don't even have to execute it because I've thought through every bit of the problem. Yeah. So what I really like is the problem solving element. Mm -hmm. And I think that when I was 12 years old, I always knew I wanted to be a stylist. And I designed my education to go to Central St. Martins, got into the course, got a first. It was not hard mm. because I was so prepared. Mm. I've been preparing since I was 12. Yeah. Reading every magazine, book, everything. I wanted so bad to achieve something. And then when I got it, I was like, well, I've done it now. So mm. now what? So then when I was at university... I was like, I'm going to make this hip-hop magazine because I'm going out raving. There's no women in these hip-hop clubs, what the hell? Yeah. So then I was like, I'm going to make a hip-hop magazine. And again, once I'd made it, I was like, well, I don't want to do it again. Yeah. So then I started a blog for it. And then once I started a blog, I was like, well, I've done that now. I'm going to open a nail salon. So then once I've done a nail salon, literally with war nails, I opened it. And six months later, I didn't want to do it anymore. Yeah. But everyone was obsessed with it. Yeah. So that was like, talk of the town. It was and beyond. so popular yeah. that I was like, "Oh my goodness, I now have to run this business." Yeah. And from six months after we started till when I closed it, like ten years later, I was just responding to what people wanted. Yeah. And I think as well, going back to what I just said about like having the autonomy to truly do what you want to do, I felt like. 
like it had a stranglehold on me like mm. I couldn't do anything else mm-hmm. I tried to do other things I tried to keep styling I wrote a nail book I worked with Nike during the Olympics I consulted for Nike consulted for all of my clients still mm. but it meant that I never really invested all my energy making that like a global thing I even opened like four salons at one point because I was like I guess this is what yeah I should do now yeah. And I just hated it. Yeah. <laughs> like running from shop to shop. It was madness. So I part of my journey as a leader and also my personal journey is really probably year six of the salon. Mm. I was like, I really don't want to do this. So how how can I make it work for me? And I thought, I'm gonna move back to London. I'm gonna open the sickest tech-enabled salon ever. Mm. I'm gonna start a tech company but I'm going to create a VR experience and a chatbot to prove I can build tech because no, you know, I yep. went to a techie school, but no one knew me as a tech person. Yep. And then I'm going to build a software company. Yeah. So that's what I did. <laughs> I moved back to <laughs> London, yeah. 2015, opened the Soho version of the salon, 2016, exactly a year later. I built this nail VR metaverse thing, like way ahead of its time in yeah. 2016. It looks incredible. Mm. Um, you can like find it on YouTube now and it still looks amazing. Yeah. And then I, after nine months of the salon being open, I trained, I intentionally trained people properly. And then I just went off and started a tech company. Yeah. First of all, brilliant. Second of all, I think surely that is the nature of like being... Gemini? <laughs> Touche. No, but being a true creative. Um, what's advice you would give to someone starting out on their career today? I would say that we are in very unusual times, not just because of where the economy is at or what's going on with the markets, but I think that uh, we've not really lived in an era where we've had such heavy social media and news cycle, mm. as well as such a crazy economy. Like, for example, if you think back to the 2008 crash, there was no Instagram, mm-hmm. you know? So th- the way that people were communicating information was very different. Yeah. And the things people were focused on was very different. Like, I remember these big news moments like 9-11, the crash, etc., mm. and then being having to watch the news and like to get the information. Whereas I think now it's so easy to forget that the world is actually falling apart. (laughs) You know what I mean? Because we don't see all of the things all of the time. It's like just this low hum of noise. So I think if you're starting your career in this period, it can be very difficult to know exactly what the temperature check is of everyone. Mm. Like, should I be investing in this skill? Should I go to this yeah. university? Should I work for a big corporation or should I work for a startup? It's like these messages aren't, aren't really clear. Yeah. So I think that my advice to someone who's starting out in their career now is to, again, really, really reflect on the way that you like to work, mm. the things that you're interested in, and really just spend so much time on research because switching roles through poor career choices is just traumatic, actually. Yeah. It's really traumatic yeah, yeah, yeah. to be in a role and be like, oh my God, startups were not for me. I don't want to be texted at 10 o'clock at night by my CEO, yeah. not talking about me. I don't want to live this life. And, I, and one of our company principles is called get on the bus. And mm-hmm. it's the idea that we are a startup. We move at a ridiculous rate. Like we 
are constantly, constantly evolving and changing. Mm. And the stamina of that, you, it requires a lot of stamina and it's not for everyone. Yeah. And I have no hard feelings about people who that role isn't for them. And yeah, similarly, yeah. the other way, if someone is naturally startup inclined, but then thinks, you know what, I've got a mortgage to pay. I want to, I'm just going to take this corporate job for like yeah. a year. I've seen it kill people. Like it, it eats their like soul and motivation. Yeah. You know, we do several self-reflection exercises at the Stack World. We do a vision setting, a guide to working with me and writing your personal vision, mission principles. And I urge every member to do it yeah. because those three documents are your, they're almost like your personal Bible yeah. for how you want to think, operate, work, who you want to hang out with, what kind of things you want to be doing. And that way you can just make better decisions. You know, sometimes I say to my community, like, have you ever, someone who's new in the community, actually, because the old, the OGs know how uh, <laughs> yeah, know I up. operate. But when I say to someone, I'll introduce yourself and what you do, and they're like, fumbling or they're not sure and mm. stuff it's a process of coaching them to say you know why don't we do this exercise and then the next time someone says to you what are you interested in your answer is crystal clear because you know it yeah you know got to do the work we talk about smashing glass ceilings that can feel impossible in some industries where gender inequality is still very unequal and um, are there times that these kind of prejudices have made you want to give up I think that I've been studying power from such a young age. Mm. Um, like I'm an information sponge, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like I've been studying power from such a young age, mainly through American TV, Dynasty, Bold and the Beautiful, mm -hmm. watching Oprah, watching, you know, Jerry Springer as a kid. Like yeah. I grew up in a very working class house. There's no real powerful people in my sphere apart from the church pastor of course yeah um but, but fundamentally i have been always curious about men's power mm -hmm. in particular mm -hmm. but also where women who are powerful have gotten their power and i definitely would say that i've moved through life working quite hard to command a level of respect because as a black woman in london there's so many opportunities for me to be disrespected. Mm -hmm. So I would think that the inequalities in terms of gender that I will have faced will probably have been out of the room when I've been out of the room. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I think directly to my face, what I've had is very light compared to what some things my friends have had. Yeah. They're almost like, I guess you call them a microaggression mm -hmm. rather than, you know, a lot of my friends have experienced really really terrible things in their in their workplace culture in their in their leadership journey yeah so on that account i've worked hard however you can't control what is done or said to you out of the room yeah and you cannot control people's unconscious biases right yeah so the questions that women get asked when they're fundraising for example are completely different to what men get asked mm. there is a term for it that i've it's just lost me but f i think it's something like for men it is promoter questions mm -hmm. so how big could this business get which is really exciting yeah you're yeah. like oh my goodness your total addressable market is basically like 25 billion this is really exciting but then when women are fundraising the questions they get 
are kind of like prove yourself. Like, yeah. how have you, how did you get your first customers? How do you know for sure that mm. if we gave you a million pound in funding, you're definitely going to turn it into X? Do you get what I mean? So it's yeah. this thing again of starting from like a minus. So I would say that even though I've had very successful pitches or fundraising, I don't know what people are saying about me when they're out the room. So when they're doing their, for example, post-pitch chat, they might be like, well, I don't think she can do da-da-da. How's mm -hmm. she doing that? Da -da. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That I'm just, I would say that it's not done necessarily to my face. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know what I mean? But yeah. my personal principle is you control what you can control. Yeah. And what I know I can control is my behavior and my demeanor in the workplace mm -hmm. and how I kind of navigate the wider landscape of men in power but then what can I do beyond that is kind of I guess inform them like yeah. help help support you know men need to be part of the equality conversation too we say that all the time we've got quite a few men on the stack yeah and also teach other women about the things that they can do to command respect and all of that jazz mm. were there any points when you uh doubted your journey all the time, every, all the time. What did you do? It's really funny because I never ever had doubt or confidence issues before I started a startup. Mm. But there's something about being in this environment which is really bad for your mental health, mm. you know? What I do when that happens is I'm the kind of person who's like a hermit. I need to go into the mountain be really like alone with my thoughts. Mm. I almost always figure it out and then I come back down and then tell everyone, this is what we're doing. Yeah. <laughs> it's really funny because my son, we were joking in the house that like, I was so tired and I had so many meetings that my, I was like, you kids go in my place. You kids go to the meeting as me. And my son, who's 11, he goes, yeah, yeah, this is what I'll say. I'll be like, right, we're building an app and you guys are the best team ever. And I was like, wow, he's just summarised every meeting I have into two sentences. Um, but, you know, that's how I kind of resolve these moments of doubt. I tend to listen to other, like, podcasts and audiobooks mm -hmm. on other people who've gone through similar situations and yeah. that seems to always help it's really funny because i've been doing that actually since i was a kid i used to read george orwell's down and out in paris uh -huh. and London. whenever i had no money as a student <laughs> yeah i would just read that book <laughs> and then i'd think about him rubbing the garlic on the bread yeah. to make it taste strong and now i will read something like the hard thing about hard things by ben horowitz mm -hmm. who's a big venture capitalist you know books by other founders and entrepreneurs but I definitely find comfort in listening to other people's journeys to know that this isn't just happening to me yeah. you know it's happening to other people I would say that time and space to think is key mm -hmm. and again women don't often get time and space to think and just let your brain rest from the domestic cognitive load of having to care and look after and support so many people. Mm. So removing any of those things and allowing myself the time to think is the best way for me to get out of this doubt. And then finally, I have, as I've said before, an incredible community of female founders. I've got so many WhatsApp groups with women where we're all just like, high-fiving each other and like being supportive when we've had a bad day so mm. that that definitely helps talk to me about your mbe i don't know who nominated me mm -hmm. 
And I wasn't really bothered about it to the point where I missed all the letters and the phone calls. And somebody from the honours office created an Instagram account to message <laughs> yeah. me on Instagram to tell me that I'd gotten it. Yeah. So then I was like, okay, fine. I was awarded it in 2000. Wait, how did that feel? Well, at the time, I hated my job and yeah. my business. Going through a breakup, yeah. I had a young child. So, <laughs> yeah. frankly, I didn't really care. You're like I, an award, finally. I've got other things going on, yeah. frankly, than yeah. an MBE. However, not however, then I got it in 2015. Mm -hmm. I didn't even go to the ceremony. Mm -hmm. Do you know what happened? I didn't go to the ceremony because I was like, whatever. Um, then, when my son got to... I think it was seven. Yeah. Uh, he suddenly became obsessed with the Queen. Yeah. So I was flexing, being like, I can take you there if you want. <laughs> and he was like, what? I was like, I can take you to Buckingham Palace. I was just showing off to yeah. my son. He yeah. was like, you're joking, because he was reading like the Queen's hat and all these kids' books. <laughs> so then I emailed the honours office and I said, look, I got an MBE three years ago. I didn't actually come and collect it. Um, do you think I could be in this year's awards yeah. ceremony. And they were like, yeah, that's fine. Now I also waited, because you can't take children to Buckingham Palace until they're seven. Oh, okay. So I went with my son, we both got dressed up. Mm -hmm. uh, he wore his little suit and Ooh. I took him to the palace and he loved it. I drove- I'm not surprised! I drove my old battered <laughs> BMW. Cause you, can, you know you can drive your car into there, right? Yeah. So I drove into Buckingham <laughs> Palace in my old battered BMW and it was so cool. And then most people go for like, go to Claridge's or something afterwards. Yeah. And we just went to Shake Shack. Yeah, but I mean Shake Shack is, I it's my Claridge's. I literally went to Shake Shack, <laughs> we had a burger yeah. and then I went back to work. Yeah. Was there any doubt in your mind that you would ever collect it? Was it just like, like, truthfully, I just was not bothered. Yeah. If Roman hadn't been, like, obsessed with the Queen at that time... It would still be sitting there. It would still be sitting there. <laughs> and you know what? I actually unpacked... I saw it in a random box in the office because we moved office recently, and I was like, oh, I better put that safe. Yeah. Where I'm did you put it? Just on the shelf. <laughs> you know, I'm not... I'm not, high up. I'm not a sentimental person. Mm. Like, I'm not attached to things mm. or... I've never really been like that, to be honest. Like, I give away my stuff all the time and then I forget and then I see my outfit on someone else. I'm like, that's my sh that, those, that's my yeah, top. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot. Do you get what I'm saying? I'm not really attached to things. That's interesting. It's kind of strange, isn't it? Yeah, it's the opposite of the society, that, <laughs> this kind of like commercial like, like society. That, yeah, but I like, stuff. I like stuff. I like product, I like nice yeah. things. But if my house burnt down with all my stuff in it, you know, God forbid, yeah. I, what would I be upset about? Yeah. There's not, I don't know, I'm just not that person. Yeah. I think it's because I've had to start again so many times, yeah. as we've said before, mm. and I've had to like reinvent myself so many times that the idea of having nothing yeah. just doesn't scare me because no. I know I can always generate ideas I can always make more money. Mm. I can always find a way. So I'm just not that bothered. It's not about. your worst case scenario is having to start something. No. Start something up. No, that, that's not my worst. <laughs> no. Case. My worst case scenarios would be like health issues. Yeah. 
like prolonged mental health issues, for yeah, example, yeah, yeah. or yeah. not having control of my own mind would be probably the worst thing that could yeah. happen. <laughs> Given everything I've just said, yeah, yeah. you know, that, that would be the worst thing for me. Well, it's your... Well, I wouldn't say it's your biggest tool, obviously. But it it's is. Like, yeah. It's my it's my asset. So yeah. I'm like, I like my mind and I like my brain. And if I didn't have that, that would be more devastating than, you know, my designer handbag, like yeah. get, going down the drain or something. Yeah, Not true. Bothered, you know? M much easier to replace. Yeah. <laughs> Was there any ever a point when you thought, mission complete? No, but I can tell you when I will think it's complete. Yes. So yes. I one of my essays in my book is called Act as an Alumna. Mm -hmm. And it's about the concept that one of the reasons why, you know, we're the poorer sex is because the history of education has always been the way that men and boys have been educated as a priority over women. It mm. still happens in many countries today where the girls don't get to go to school, mm -hmm. but the boys do. What happens is, in the West anyway, and in our institutions is, men go to university, they graduate from that university, they then make loads of money, and what do they do? Give it back to the university. Mm. They have a wing, or a library, mm. or a concert hall in the school named after them, after the most illustrious graduates of the school, yeah. right? Yeah. Especially in Oxford and Cambridge and Ivy League universities. So then what happens is that school has way more facilities, better computers, better libraries, all of that, mm. while the women's colleges remain a bit shabby. Mm -hmm. And um, what I'm saying is, as women, we should be giving back to the institutions that supported us yeah. in whatever ways, like act as a, an alumna, whether it's like, you know, you went to this youth centre when you were a kid. Mm. What can you do to give them 100 quid a month to support their work? You, do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. Because that's the only way that we're going to break this cycle of essentially like the most famous institutions in the world having much better facilities and therefore attracting the brightest students yeah. and so on and so on. Yeah. So I wrote this essay and the way that the book works is I've written this book and I email a chapter to our member community at the Stackworld every week. Mm. Then we talk about it on Monday in a live discussion group. So anything from 50 to 100 women will come and talk about the chapter. Yeah. And it's really cool because it's basically a live book club every week. Mm. I was saying to them that what will make me happy is when the stack becomes a new alumna. Mm -hmm. So I can be on my deathbed and be like, you know, is Afia still in charge of the World Bank? Yeah. And they'll be like, yes, Sharma, don't worry. And I can say, like, you know, is Mary still in charge of, like, whatever? Or is so-and-so still Prime Minister? And if I can build a network of women globally that are holding positions of power mm. and operating from their independence and autonomy within those positions of power, like, I feel that I can die happy. Mm. And this is kind of what I mean by when I was jokingly saying I was creating an army, this global network of women that are holding positions of power in their respective fields, but aren't just doing it using old principles of leadership, which tends to be incredibly masculine, but using new principles of leadership, then I'll die a very happy lady. Mm. So there's a question that I ask every guest that I have on the podcast. In three words, what are the traits you believe make a good boss? Empathy, vision, mm. action. Boom. So with empathy, I think it's very, very difficult to 
manage and people whose experience you can't possibly comprehend. Yeah. You know, we talk about diversity in the workplace and it's all good and well you hiring more black people or hiring women, but if you can't account for what that they might be bringing to this role yeah. that might be different to what you're used to, yes. then you're not going to get the best out of them or make them as set up for success as possible. Mm. So we do, as I said earlier, the guide to working with me exercise. Every single person in my company writes a presentation on themselves. Mm. And then every Friday, someone stands up and does their presentation about themselves so that everyone in the room knows where that person's coming from yeah. and what makes them most productive and motivated. The vision, because I think to lead, you kind of have to understand where you're going and project into the future like how the world could be if you were mm. successful in yeah. your in your business and having vision and being able to communicate that vision is really important and then as you said earlier action because what good's a fantasy if you don't put it you know put it into into plan so I definitely have met um you know people in the past who are like I'm gonna do this I'm gonna do that and I'm like I'm the kind of person who says it when I'm so close to launching yeah. so that there's a very small gap between saying I'm going to do something and you actually seeing it. Yeah. So I think that action is really key. You know, my one piece of advice is always just keep putting one foot in front of the other. It doesn't matter how fast or slow you go. Mm. But the idea of stasis is really scary to me. Mm. All right. But on that <laughs> note, thank you so much thank for you. joining me on the podcast. It's been, I was going to say a dream, but not a dreamer. Not a dreamer. Thank you for listening to Behind the Boss with your host, that's me, Raven Smith. If you want to find out more about what it takes to be a boss and the stories behind the inspirational figures of today, make sure to tune in.